Let us pray. Lord Jesus, show us how to carry the cross. Show us how to follow you. Show us the path to humility. In your name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Now by now we're uh, getting to be a few weeks into Lent and our Lenten practices, and perhaps you've given up something or taken something on to assist you in your walk to Easter. Or perhaps you've given up enough this year. Fair enough. There is so much to reflect on at this Lenten time. But what I'm wondering today is what has God given up for Lent? What has God laid down What has God poured out and surrendered so that we might enter into Easter life? Does God even eat candy? Because today's scriptures are about the give and take of covenants and promises and their consequences. And they apply to both sides of the Lenten relationship, the God side and the people side, the Lent side and the Easter side. Now, to explore this, we might need to back up a bit. So I'd like to start with a Christmas story. It takes place about 30 years ago. Jim, the pastor of the church that I attended at the time, had just returned from a trip to El Salvador, where the parish had a long-standing relationship with a village there. And shortly after he arrived in the village where they were staying, he met a little girl named Natividad. Nativity. Right before Christmas. How cool is that? And Jim soon learned that Natividad's greatest desire was to learn how to read. So right there, outside in the dust, they had their first lesson. They knelt down, and using a nail that Jim found nearby... He began to scratch out letters in the dirt and words. He wrote Dios. He wrote Amor. And Natividad copied them down and sounded them out and wrote and read her first words of faith, words she already knew by heart. And Jim came home and preached a homily about humility. And he pointed out that the word means close to the earth, which is where the incarnation happened. It's where the word touched down. And he told that story about Natividad and the word of God in a country where death squads still roamed freely. And he told a story of the power of humility in a country that ran on humiliation. It's important to remember that there's a difference between humiliation and humility. Both require relationship. But humiliation is an act of force meant to make the other feel less like a person and more like dirt so that the one doing the humiliating can feel stronger and more powerful. It is a selfish act that strikes the other down. It seeks to teach a lesson so brutal that they don't rise again. Humility 
is a choice. It's a choice to lay down one's own power and status to ensure that another can rise to their full stature. Humility is always outward focused. It serves the other. Humility teaches a lesson about the art of having nothing to lose. It does not miss what it has given up. And so whenever I think of the word humility, that image comes to mind of a man named Jim kneeling in the dust with a child named Nativity in a land named the Savior with the word of God written in the dirt between them. And I think that is also a good image for the word covenant, specifically God's covenant with us. Now, if we think of covenant less of a security contract and more of a promise, less about a working relationship and more about a loving commitment, then humility seems to be the key to the whole thing. It explains what God gives up for Lent. Now, I think Lent began for God way back in those early stories of covenants with those first mothers and fathers of the faith. Those folk tales speak to me of Lent because in one way or another, they promise Easter, life with God that does not end. And so in last week's story of Noah, God gave up divine retribution for Lent. And as Jared explained to us last week, God hangs up God's bow in the heavens and points it away from earth. And in today's story of the covenant with Abram and Sarai, God bends closer still to the earth to change the names of an infertile old couple and to fashion a people through them, to make a future for them, to call into being people who would live like God was their God. And on and on God's effort goes from establishing the law to seeing it broken, through the rise of prophets and kings and their falling, through deportation and return and reconquering, until God is kneeling in our own dust with us as Jesus, whose very life is an act of humility and a covenantal promise, whose very life is lent the path to Easter. So in today's gospel passage from Mark, Jesus models for his disciples what God asks in return for God's patient and steadfast humility, God's bending low to make the kingdom come. God asks the same of us, bending low and letting go of everything that might take the place of God or lead one away from God, acts of humility, not humiliation. Chosen, not forced. If God's covenant with us were a dance, it would begin with each bowing to the other. And so Mark says, Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. 
And that was very hard for people like Peter, who just a few verses before had Jesus correctly pegged as the Messiah, but not this kind of Messiah. Because by the standards of kings and conquerors that Peter knows, Messiahs come armed. Their strategy is to humiliate the enemy and to lift the ones they come to save. Messiahs don't use their own personal defeat as a strategy. That's just embarrassing, shameful, humiliating. Peter wants the covenant of empire, of force, the kind of alliance that can topple Caesar. And in that moment when he is rebuked by Jesus, when he is equated with all that opposes the work of God, Peter has to decide what kind of Messiah will he give his life for and to? What kind of Messiah will he follow and to where? What kind of covenant is he willing to sign on to? In the end, it is a covenant that requires the same act of humility of the disciples as it requires of the Christ. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, Jesus says. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will save it. There is no more humiliating tool of empire than the cross. To carry it literally was to carry your own death sentence upon your shoulders, an execution that demanded utter social rejection, whipping, stripping, and hanging naked and exposed in front of a mocking crowd. That is how low God bends to earth to make the kingdom come near. One does not climb up to the kingdom of God by grasping onto things, wealth and worth and honor and distinction, but rather one enters it by letting go of things, power and supremacy and self-centeredness and control of life itself. And that's not just a lesson for Peter. It's a lesson for us as well. We know what kind of world we're in. We know that it exacts a great cost for all it thrusts into our hands and tells us that we can't live without. And we know that it exacts a great cost if we let those things go. The latter, Jesus says, is the cost of discipleship. The question is whether we can trust in God's promise to take our empty hand and lead us into something that we truly can't live without. That is the trajectory of the divine humility, the path to Easter, what God has given up for us. And so in order to meet Jesus' eye, we must learn to bend the knee. To find the word, we must look for it in the dust. It's possible that it's where the covenant has been waiting for us all along. Amen.